This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. We're at episode number 98. The guest this week is Mr. Andrew Wade. He is a producer, a dude who records bands and writes music down in Florida. And I don't know, he's recorded a little band. Maybe you've heard of them called A Day to Remember. Probably like one of the biggest independent bands that's out there right now. So he's in a bunch of other great stuff like Pierce the Veil and a bunch of other bands that are very relevant with the kids these days. That makes me sound old, but I just like to say it like that. Anyways, it's almost been two years. The show has been around, which is insane. Uh, the 104th episode is our two-year anniversary. We're like six away. It just blows my mind. So anyways, thank you for joining and being a part of this thing. I wanted to get a item of business out of the way for Mr. Andrew. So there's this great website called creativelive.com. What they do is they host free online tutorials. Now, I know you hear the idea of online tutorial and you want to fall asleep. This site's amazing. And they're just one of my good friends, does a lot of the stuff on there. So this is, I'm doing this out of the love of him and what that site is. So Andrew, for those of you who are gear people and people that are interested in recording, which I know is a lot of you, go attend his class. It's on March 17th and 18th. It's a creative live class called Recording Rock Vocals. The dude knows how to record the sick vox. I don't even know if that's people say that, but I just thought I'd say that. Go there. Go to creativelive.com, and you'll be able to find out all the information for Andrew's class. It's for free. It streams online for hours. It's like a full seven-hour class for free. Just do it. So yeah, March 17th and 18th. Visit there and do that. Anyways, other items of business, propertyofzack.com. Visit there. They got a fun poll up right now, March Sadness, which takes emo bands of all shapes and sizes and pits them against one another in like a NCAA tournament bracket sort of vote thingy. It's fun. So go visit there. And email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. So yes, Andrew, like I said, he's tracked a ton of bands. He's basically one of the hot producers now. I use the word hot. I say it hot like that because he's hot. He's a guy that has a, uh, after this conversation, I came to find out he's got a good head in his shoulders. He's, uh, he's been in the game for a while and he's worked really, really hard to get where he's at. So I think those of you that are interested in starting something yourself can take a lot of information from this talk. And uh, yeah, we, we touch on a bunch of fun stuff. So you should listen. You will become educated. And I will talk to you after Andrew and I are done talking. That's a lot of talking. Here we go. kind of introduction to you know what you what you are doing and what you've been up to i think it's one of those things where it's like i've and i'm sure you've noticed this as well where it's like the producers behind records like you know whatever 10 to maybe 15 years ago um especially within 
the context of like independent music, it wasn't as important as just the record in and of itself, you know, where it was yeah. like, it was, yeah, I mean, I personally am 33 years old. So, and I've been doing this whole, you know, independent music thing since I was like, you know, 14, 15. And so it's like, when I was that age, I didn't, you know, I didn't care about who recorded that stuff. Now I think that's like, you know, people such as, you know, yourself and obviously a lot of your contemporaries, they know because it's like put on a marketing sticker, like recorded by this dude, you know? Um, yeah. Is it, was that, was that a weird shift for you to like notice that like my name's being pimped and I'm sure it's cool, but I'm sure there was elements of like, oh, that's weird. Well, I kind of tried to start it out where I would, I would record bands for super cheap and then I would say, hey, if you don't mind, you know, saying something online or something about me so people know where it came from. Mm -hmm. Because especially for me, I don't know how, how it was for other people, but I would put in a lot of my own, a lot of myself into the records I did because I'm also a musician. I don't know if, if maybe I, I pushed that. So like I was really, you know, people would gladly do it. I was never an asshole. Uh, so, well, okay. I can't say no. <laughs> nice. You're but, like, I've never been an asshole. Wait a pretty, minute. Let me back I mean, up. I'm pretty easy. To, I'm pretty easy to get along with. Um, I'm always trying to be, you know, find new ways of doing things, trying to be open-minded about everything. Uh, and just always trying to grow. So I think people were pretty supportive of my career and, you know, trying to further me, even if it's just mentioning my name or something like that. But yeah, when I, when I was younger though, I did seek out, uh, engineers. Mm -hmm. I actually looked, I, I would look on the back of CDs and, and see like who recorded stuff. So to me, it was always, I, I kind of always was interested. I don't know why. Well, no, I mean, I think I, I do, I look back at, you know, when I first started to get into, you know, the idea of like playing in bands and stuff. It's like, you know, I, I definitely remember, you know, obviously like Mark Trombino and, and Steve Evitz, like, you know, they were recording like massive records, like, you know, the, obviously the Blink stuff and then Steve Evitz with like Snapcase and other hardcore stuff where it was like, I think the only time I actually like paid attention to that is when I like liked the way a record sounded, you know, where it was like, wait a minute, this sounds interesting. Yeah. So I could see, but I, it's cool that you had, you already had that, uh, your, your awareness was peaked where it's like, how, who did this? How did they make this? I don't know. Maybe it was because I, I wanted to do recordings of my own, like from the beginning, mm -hmm. like whenever I started doing music, cause I, you know, going to a studio to me was like, yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, <laughs> how, how will I ever be able to afford that? You know, sure. I was just a, dumb kid like everyone else <laughs> right right <laughs> well speaking of being a dumb kid were you uh were you born and raised in florida yes i was born in gainesville and uh moved i moved to ocala on my own at three years old and uh that was a joke but i know i got it <laughs> I, I didn't want to interrupt that flow right there <laughs> no so i moved here when i i moved uh, to ocala when i was three and then i moved to orlando where i am now when i'm about 20 when i was like 28 or something. Got it. Because I've spent some time in a few random places in Florida, but Gainesville, uh, I, I spent to you know uh, some time in from you know going to like the the fest that was there and stuff like that. And Gainesville is such a such a weird town. Um, I don't know if you have any uh, fond memories or experiences from that perspective, but uh, yeah, it is pretty weird. It's uh, it's like it's like everybody has a big town mind in a really small town. What struck me, and obviously you can spin off this, was, you know, it, it's a college town, obviously. It's a huge college town. But then you had this weird undercurrent of obviously like a huge independent music scene and like hippies 
and, you know, sort of like a new age mentality mixed with like, you know, a huge football school. And it's like, it's such a weird, I mean, that obviously bled out to the rest of the city. I, I've, I've always said that to people. Like, I'm like, something is wrong with the people in Gainesville. No offense to anybody sure. in Gainesville, but it, w- it was a lot of people that were like really into reggae, funk and jam bands like that. The, that was like a huge scene in Gainesville. I don't know if it still is now, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it was that. And then, yeah, like you said, all the people that, you know, go to football games and stuff, all the bros and it's a weird it, dynamic. It is. For sure. I mean, I, I think and I, I would uh, I would actually extrapolate that. And I would say, I mean, Florida in and of itself is a very strange place. In, in touring around the country, you definitely, you know, you see your pockets of like, oh, like here's, you know, Austin, Texas, where it's like, oh, that's a interesting town. But then Florida, like I would say almost every large city has this just this weird, uh, this weird vibe of like, it's like a sprawling suburb, but then it's like you go to Miami and it's like, well, like eight blocks is gigantic. And then it just goes into suburbs and then everybody that flocks there, uh, you know, in, in most cities just have this weird, it's like a mixture of old people, yet it's a cheap place to live. Like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I presume that you obviously, there's a reason that you stay in Florida. Um, uh- yeah, I I just have family here and uh I like the weather and <laughs> I don't I don't really have a good reason. Um <laughs> yeah. I I was raised in Ocala, you got to understand. Ocala is one of the weirdest places. There's just this really uh huge gap in the demographics in Ocala of like people between ages of 18 and like 32. Mm-hmm. It's like they just don't exist there. And if they do they're like in hiding or something. I don't know where they are. Everybody's either like old, really old or really young. I could, I don't know. I, I, it was, it's hard to find friends there. Uh, and then I, I moved here to Orlando and everything changes. I'm like, oh, there's someone that looks like I could be friends with them. Right. There, yeah. there are peers out here. Yeah. It's like, okay, this makes sense. I knew I wasn't just imagining that. Yeah, there are young people that exist out here, not just this yeah, huge, like, huge I drop. Not, I'm not that weird in the world. I'm pretty normal, actually. Right, right. Um, so what, what what precipitated the move uh, from uh, Gainesville to uh, Ocala? Like your your parents, obviously, like you said. I mean, uh, you, yeah, it was my – my dad just got a new job. That's all it was. Got it, got it. Uh, and so what, what was your, what was your household structure like? You know, do you have brothers and sisters and what did your parents do for a living? Yeah. Two brothers. My parents are still together. They both live in the same house that I grew up in as a kid, Mm -hmm. um, in Ocala and I'm the middle child. I don't know if I have middle child syndrome. What, 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 I don't know what the middle child syndrome actually is described. I'm an only child myself, so I I completely know, know that, but I, I, I actually don't know. Um, people just say it. That's a thing. <laughs> right. right. I'm, I'm trying to think. Maybe. Oh, middle child syndrome. Right. Sure. I'm a middle child, so I guess I have that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what it would be. Cause I, like, I don't, like I don't get enough attention or something, but I feel like I got plenty of attention. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's one of those things. Because especially in a family of three kids, like you would expect the youngest to be the quote-unquote most neglected because they've done it twice before. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we know. Like, what's the worst that could happen? But also, the youngest, you got to remember, is the newest baby. So whatever new baby, like everybody's, you know, going crazy over the baby. Oh, let me see. Let me hold the baby. Oh, the baby. Yeah. Love the baby. So uh, good. if you have good parents, 
and I had great parents. I mean, they let me record bands in the house when I was in high school, and uh, I couldn't imagine me doing that for my own children. Yeah, I, I would just be like, no, nope. Uh, I'm so sorry. My parents were great. You might want to go to grandma and grandpa's house. They might let you do it there, but not here. Usually, usually it's in reverse where it's like, my parents didn't let me do this. So I am for sure doing this for my kids. <laughs> yeah. Like I look back on it and I was just like, man, that must have been the biggest pain of the ass. We would set up the drums in, in the living room. Uh-huh. I mean, we'd clear the couches out so there'd be enough space for a full drum set and mics and everything. Um, so and it would usually be on the weekend. So the time whenever everyone's at the house trying to like relax, I guess, I have, you know, shitty bands coming in and and just playing as loud as possible. And just being the worst. Was, yeah, it, it was like pretty bad music. I mean, I, I tried to make the best of it. I think anybody that recorded with me back in the day would probably agree with me anyway. Um, but that was before you could really do anything digitally like you know, they didn't have Steven Slate and they didn't have Amplitude or, you know, Line 6 stuff. Oh, they did, but it was like really primitive. Um, but so everybody is making a, a lot of noise. Right. Guitars, like you're tracking guitars. There's Like I never did DI, you know, it was just straight to the amp and the amp was just turned up as loud as you would play live. When you started tracking, like in those, in those scenarios, were you, uh, you, you weren't using like eight tracks and 16 tracks were you like actually recording to uh like a well, da- tape speaking of tape let's rewind to the beginning of where this all started yes let's uh <laughs> i i started it was me and my friend his name's blake you, you don't know who he is nobody knows who he is it doesn't matter um we did music together i had an acoustic guitar and we started just with uh i had like this little karaoke machine like two it had two tape decks so we would record one track and then play to it and then record onto another tape as we're playing to that tape and then we would we we could only do it about four times until it was like mostly hiss so uh and whenever whenever we had a we had a song you know that our friends liked and whenever anybody wanted a copy we would just do a new performance because we didn't want to degrade the tape more <laughs> dude that's incredible yeah so we got really good at the song it would be interesting to listen to all the versions i mean i'm sure they're all really bad but uh but that's that's where it started and then my family had a computer it wasn't the fastest but i was like man if i could just get this tape onto the computer somehow then you know it wouldn't degrade i could just keep you know recording layers on layers and and do whatever and that that's kind of the very, very, very beginning of it. Because no one had any idea. This is so like in the mid 90s, like no one had any idea how to record anything. So it's like when you found someone with even just like a nugget of knowledge, they <laughs> they would you would be like immediately latch onto them and be like, oh, dude, like, can we record at your house? And it was like, well, I've got like a, a microphone I can set up in the corner. And that that'll that was be- a big deal. Yeah. That- deal to me like okay so my first band we recorded with this dude who was i mean he really didn't know what he was doing but like you said you know when anybody has anything he, ha- he had like a eight channel mixer or something huge, so huge. me and my band yeah we're like this is a professional studio it was in a <laughs> some uh some ghetto apartment building but that didn't matter to us we were really excited yeah and um 
it was so terrible. Like the end result, I mean, I didn't know anything back then and it was so bad. I'm like, you know, I think if I took these files, I could make them sound better myself. <laughs> I convinced one of my brother's friends who had a computer down the street to let me come over to their house and mix this album <laughs> on their computer. Right. So, um, so good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would do whatever I had to do to get this stuff done. I mean, I think it probably sounded like the tiniest bit better, but I, fe- I felt better about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I, I feel like I, uh, I, I can put my stamp of approval on this now. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that experience, I was like, you know what? I could, I could do this myself. Sure. That's kind of that's whenever the light bulb went off. And I, and I started just doing my own thing uh, acoustically. And eventually other bands locally heard it and they wanted to record. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Awesome. There were these, there were these other huge to me, huge studios in the area and people would, they would charge them a lot of money. I can't remember. They would spend thousands on like a a little demo. Yeah. Like a three song demo would be like three grand. Yeah. It something outrageous. And it would sound worse than anything that I've ever heard. (laughs) So I was like, no, how about this? How about you come over and I'll record you for $30 a song. Perfect. 90, 90 bucks for a three-song demo. And we, and, it, and we did, and it happened, and it sounded not too bad. It yeah. really didn't sound that bad. The first band I ever did was called Measure Up, and it, they were a hardcore band. And I listened to it every once in a while, and I'm always surprised. I'm like, this isn't that bad. This is the first band I ever recorded. That's so good. How would you paint the picture as far as you, uh, you know, like growing up and your, your family life? You know, did you, uh, did you find yourself like caring about school and like getting into sports? And then how did, uh, kinda, how did music kind of yeah. come into your world? Yeah, dude, when I was growing up, I had no idea um, what I was going to be. I, I actually thought I was going to be an artist because I – um, well, would draw and without sounding cocky, like I, I'm a pretty decent artist. Okay. Um, in what, in what, was put, in what, was, what, what medium in particular, like, is it uh painting, uh, it, drawing? No, it was charcoal. I did char. It started in, I, I was put in advanced classes because of how well I could draw like base, just based on that. So, uh, tra- I got into charcoal in third grade. You know, I, I would just keep working on my skill all through high school uh, I was going for to to become a graphic designer. That's what I thought it was going to do. So I took advanced placement classes. Um, I did this huge portfolio to get into UCF. Here it it was a uh, limited access program. They only accept about forty students a year. And I did all this stuff. And I in the meantime was kind of doing recordings. Also, you know, like around high school time. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really dawn on me what I was going to do exactly with my life until I actually went to school for art. I, w- I was kind of leaning towards recording at that point, but I didn't know. But as soon as I got to UCF and I'm in this limited access program, I'm thinking I'm going to be inspired and challenged and I'm going to find people to look up to. And, I'll, you know, I was so excited to be part of this limited access program. I get there. My teachers don't know shit. I'm one of the best students there. And I feel like I don't know anything. I, I could see you showed up to the first day of class just being like, you know, wide eyed and bushy tailed. and like, dude, I can't wait to dig into this. And then just being like walking into a classroom that feels like a wasteland. <laughs> yeah. The fir- my graphic design one teacher was against computers. Oh, that's <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, my graphic design two teacher, we started to get into Photoshop and 
and she was, you know, like going over a lot of things and telling us instead of like doing shortcuts, having us click through the menus and, you know, like just doing things the like just doing things the stupid way. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Even at that point, I was a very, very, very beginner graphic designer, but I still was like, what is going on here? Right. What? Okay, I, I swear to God, I have to tell the story. I was in class, uh, graphic design two. We're printing something. I don't remember what it was. I don't know. I, I I got into some argument with the teacher for some reason. I was like, do we have a printer that can print white on this black paper? <laughs> and she said, yes. I was like, okay, awesome. She's like, any of the printers can do that. I was like, what are you talking about? I swear to God, she told me all the colors mixed together to make white. <gasps> Incredible. This is at UCF. <laughs> this is graphic design too. Wow. I was standing up. I was standing up in the middle of the class, yelling at the teacher, kind of, <laughs> looking around at everybody. And I'm like, are are you guys serious? Yeah, like, that, are you, are you was, hearing this? Yeah. I'm like, no one is going to say anything right now. <laughs> And I, I quit like maybe a week or two after that. <laughs> yeah, you were just fed up. Yeah, I was like, where am I? What is this? Like, if so, if I went, if I started my own graphic design business and someone came to me and said, you know, hey, I went to UCF, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, like, you're worthless. Yeah. You don't, you didn't learn anything. <laughs> so I decided, you know, if I'm going to do my own business, I may as well do something that I absolutely love, and that was recording. Mm. Whenever you're young, you don't know if you like recording because you don't record and you don't, you know, you don't know anything about it. But you always have a paper and pencil, and you you, you can know if you, you like to draw. So, so that's why I think it came later for me. Sure. Obviously, there's no way to have experience with it until you actually do it. Right, right. And see, and but in high school, you started to you were playing. You started to play music with bands, and obviously, like the stuff that you like, you said you first started to record yourself, right? Yeah. And I mean, because you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like the, uh, were you, was your family raised uh, as far as like, a, you know, in a religious sense? Like, were, were you raised Christian? Because obviously it seems like your roots uh, were uh, definitely entrenched within that Christian music community. Um, yes. And may I ask how you know that? Oh, just, I mean, looking at, looking online, just seeing your, your, the credits of the bands that you were recording uh, early on and also the context in which Florida, and the South in general seems to be an easy entry point for kids to get into music is usually through the Christian music scene. At least in my own, uh, I mean, never being from Florida or being raised in Florida, I just see, it's like you look at bands like, uh, you know, like Shai Halud, and it's like they, even though they weren't a Christian band, they had band, like they had influences and hints at it. And just like seeing every band that's kind of come from Florida, there's like elements of that kind yeah. of all over it, you know? The Christian music scene was really big, especially whenever I was uh, first starting. The The first band that I was in, well, actually, all the bands I've ever been in were Christian. Mm-hmm. It, I'm pretty sure that's just a coincidence. But whenever I was recording at my parents' house, I would not let bands cuss. I mean, sure. I, would, sure. I would get trouble, yeah, with my parents. And when we're doing vocals, it's pretty obvious, you know, you can hear it. right. Like I didn't have a soundproof room, so uh, people weren't allowed to cuss. One of the one of the first bands that I did record, I mean, I, I wouldn't say first. Mm-hmm. One of the earlier bands was A Day to Remember, and they they had the F word on their first album, uh, in one of the songs that I made them take it out. And Jeremy was really 
upset about that. That's pretty amazing that you, you know, not only obviously had the conviction within your own beliefs to kind of sit there and be like, hey, dude, if you're working with me on this, we got to we got to take this out. I don't I, I don't yeah. think I've, I don't think I've heard of a story in which obviously a producer, you know, kind of I mean, obviously, I'm sure at that time you weren't really <laughs> you're, you're continuing yourself more of a engineer in training, but a, a person to kind of right. have that, you know, have that put that stamp on there. But yeah, I'm always trying to be as, you know, professionally minded as I can be. Of course. And that's something it's it, it was almost like, do I choose to remain in the Christian music industry only? Mm hmm. Or do I allow myself to do, you know, to be as limitless as possible with music production? Sure. And, and I think I, I'm always, you know, that's not just in my recording life, but in my personal life too. I'm always trying to think of, you know, what, how can I better myself? How can I be more efficient? How can I, um, you know, see things in a different light all the time? And, and it, and it's helped me in my, recording career because you know there's a lot of people that'll find one way to do something and then they'll stick to it and they'll never grow mm -hmm. uh, and i think that's and i mean i saw that with all the all the studios that closed down as i'm growing you know as a producer and people that i used to look up to and i've passed them and i totally know why you know they just get stuck in yeah. this funk they they got some compliments from friends and family and that's good enough and uh you know they do what they do and that's that you know so yeah but, no, that that's a that's a very interesting point cuz yeah i think anybody that grows up with independent music can totally see that especially from you know a, a studio or producer standpoint where it's like you know someone in the area is hot for like a year everybody goes and records with them and then that they kind of move on because all the bands that are of that sonic sound have recorded with them and then now they maybe want a different experience so they're using someone else and that person is locked into well dude i just do metal hardcore like yeah. wh where's the where's the other young bands coming up and like there might not be for the next you know year or two or whatever and and i think about that all the time i'm like what makes somebody hot what makes what makes people want to go to a producer mm -hmm. and you know i think dynamic with your sound is really important because you'll there's always different ways to do things and and there's never there's never quite a a best way in theory like just differences sure. if that makes sense yeah. so someone that i really look up to is like chris lord algae sometimes i'll just listen to a recording that i didn't even know he did and i'm like man this recording sounds awesome and it just sounds completely different than anything that he's done before but it still sounds great. And that's the kind of uh, producer or engineer, mixer, whatever, that, that I want to be. I want to be able to figure out what is, what is great and what is, you know, not so great, what is mediocre. Mm -hmm. And learning that, not, hey, whenever you use this guitar with these strings, it sounds good. I want to know what sounds good no matter what, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, no matter, no matter what music you are recording, there are elements that are obviously similar, especially if you're, you're talking about rock music. Like it doesn't matter if you are, you know, an acoustic rock artist that obviously has elements of, you know, electric in it versus, you know, a black metal band at the core of it, there's going to be 
similarities and you just obviously have to figure out the nuances that make it different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's good about this sound? And it's not just, you know, the way things sound. It's also about music and, and music writing. A lot of people are blinded by things like if Miley Cyrus, for instance, is singing a song and they're like, Oh, Miley Cyrus, this is Miley Cyrus. But it's like, (laughs) well, hold on a second. Are you listening to the song? Because this song is incredible and she had nothing to do with writing it. So it's easy to get caught up in things on a smaller scale like that. You know, somebody brings in a Schecter guitar or something. Right. Or brings or, or, or brings their metal zone pedal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not even gonna try this. Um <laughs> I mean but, it's it's safe it, let, let's be honest, it's safe to write off a metal zone pedal. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> you, you know what I mean. I like, know. Your point's taken. Yeah, it's. Uh, did you when you as you were uh, you know as you were going through high school like did you uh, did you actually tour with the bands that you played in uh, or I mean the the projects that you yeah. were working on? How, yeah, did, I'm sure it was smaller scale, yeah. but uh, did uh, you- uh, yeah, just like East Coast tours, um, very small, some just just around Florida, and um, and that's when I knew that I hated being in a band. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Because we re- we played a like. I don't know, a few hundred people sometimes, and that was cool. I was like, it would only get bigger than this. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'd rather I'd rather stay at home and, you know, make music and just be home yeah. with my friends and That's 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 so interesting that you had cuz it it totally so many people don't understand you know what it's like to tour even on a smaller scale and it's like there are certain people that I know I personally have played with over the years, and I know anybody that like tours experiences this, where it's like you, you head out for a week or even longer than that, and you can point out the people in the band that are just like, you're not going to last. You don't like this. Like, yeah. And exactly what you're saying of like, yeah, I don't, this doesn't necessarily give me the satisfaction of, you know, whatever, the, you know, being in the center of attention yeah. and playing in front of people and stuff. That's right. interesting that you had that that switch go off for you or it's like, yeah, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we had great responses sometimes, you know, some, you have those certain crowds just completely freak out and it makes you feel great and stuff. But I just, maybe it's because I had other options. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe other people are like, man, nothing in my life has ever been like this. So no offense to anyone, but yeah. so maybe that, maybe that's why, but to me, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really care about this at all. And, uh, you know, more recently, I have gone out touring in style, okay, with a day to remember. <laughs> right. And it was fun every once in a while, like, because I would go out with them and do pre-production on a laptop or whatever to help help write or just, you know, whatever they wanted me to do for that kind of stuff. Um and we would have time off and it would be fun to be in other countries. But I mean, being away from home that long really took a toll on me. It was just uh, fun at the beginning. And then, you know, a month in, it's just like, man, yeah, I don't want to be here. Is it is it just the uh, the removal of the things that you are obviously like comfortable with from family yeah. relationships and that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's totally a, it's a complete yeah relationships and it's a completely different schedule that you have to get used to yeah um not just because of the different time zones but uh you i i can't i'm not 
every morning I'm not guaranteed to, you know, drive down the street and get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddle from McDonald's or something. You know what I mean? Like, sure. the things I know I could do are gone. There's nothing you know you can do. You're in a new spot. You're in a new country. You're in a new state. You don't know what the fuck is around you. Sure. Sometimes you don't have, like, you won't have Wi-Fi. Like, if you're in Europe, there's no Wi-Fi sometimes or there's no cell phone reception. So you literally can't check anything and you have, you don't even know where you are sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of frustrating. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, I kind of like that, you know, knowing things are there and yeah the regularity of it all it's understandable yeah, being being regular i guess i'm just super boring or something <laughs> well no i i i've i personally have never viewed it like that like people people that i've toured with that you know i've that have eventually fallen out of it i totally get it like not everybody is cut out to do that like the whole because there's there's so many elements of like hurry up and wait where it's like oh yeah we load in at like two and oh my gosh show yeah. do, doors aren't until eight and I don't have any way to get around like there's so many elements that just you yeah. un, you understand why people don't like it so I totally yeah I, there's I, a lot of sitting around like. yeah so much and so the uh, so then as you obviously as you skewed playing in bands and started to you know focus on on um, production and stuff like that how how did it sit with your parents that you obviously were you know involved in music and involved in kind of a you know a DIY community that you know they obviously they had a context for because they let you you know record bands in their living room and stuff like that yeah. uh, but was there any friction there as far as like oh, oh yeah i don't know what andrew's doing he may be throwing his life away yeah Oh, yeah. Especially the phone call I made uh, to my parents about dropping out of school, dropping out of school. I mean, this is after I completed high school with over a 4.0 and I got my AA already. And I was like less than halfway through my bachelor's. And that's when I told them, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I, I want to I'm going to come home and do recording. And they were they were pretty upset and they were upset for a long time after that, too. Mm-hmm. Even like even after. You know, I was in magazines for being for having like most anticipated album that I was doing, and you know, great things happening. I had Dave Shapiro as my manager. My par- my my mom was not stoked about it. She's like, "You should always you should always have a degree just in case." Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love my parents. They've always been really helpful and supportive. They mm-hmm. are definitely warmed up to it now. That you know, they you they're a, very pr- you, they're very proud. You have a track record. Yeah, but but back in the day, uh, they weren't so excited. But right. it happened. I think one of the turning points for my mom is when she's sitting next to some dude on the airplane, and they started talking. And it was, it, I think, it was a guy who owned or wrote for Substream magazine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, so random. Yeah, and he knew who I was, and she's like, "What? <laughs> like, you know who my son is?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, it's like one of the best places to record in, you know this." area south of i don't I don't remember what he said i think it started to become very real when things like that would happen sure what do your uh what do your parents do for work uh my mom's a elementary school teacher and my dad is a parts clerk at ring power oh okay yeah so i mean clearly the musical context of making a living out of the arts is is hard for them to kind of wrap their head around i'm sure yeah no one in my family does music for a living my aunt is talented with singing but she doesn't really get paid from it or anything yeah they've got no context for it so they see you being like hey i'm i'm, I'm gonna do this i'm gonna record bands and I'll, I'll get a studio and they're just like i don't know about that <laughs> to me to me it wasn't like i'm i'm gonna do this to me i'm like 
I am doing this. As soon as I made, it was actually that phone call. It was, it was, I made that phone call the same day that I made the choice to drop out of school. I'm like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do with my life. And ever since I made that choice, I had absolutely no doubt of what I was going to do and that I, that I would be successful with it because I would do whatever it took. And I still am doing whatever it takes. I think it's, it's, it's cool when people obviously can kind of strip strip all the noise away and just be like, all right, at this point, there's no plan B. There's a plan A, and this is this is literally, there's no other choice but to make this my thing, and hopefully I'll find success in it. Yeah. With, you know, obviously your early days of kind of starting out the, um, you know, the, especially because you come from a background of obviously being an artist as far as, you know, playing, you know, creating music and stuff like that. Was it difficult for you to start to shift your head into the idea of like being a business where it's like, oh man, I got to figure out, figure out how to do this. Like I got yeah. to figure out how to invoice. And was that, a yeah. was that a struggle? Yeah, that shit annoys me. I hate it so much. <laughs> sure. I, I don't really have many bills or, okay. Well, compared to other like businesses and stuff, I've had this conversation with my business manager, but they're like, you know, you don't have many bills. And you don't have any employees. So kind of like you could do this on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I will pay someone a million dollars to do this. <laughs> I, I will not do taxes. I will not pay invoices. Like I, it's my job to be uh, creative and not be bothered by all these numbers. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Although math was one of my strongest subjects in school. Yeah, because it's that. It's funny because you strike me as a person just in hearing the way that you describe yourself, and obviously the uh, you know the the few little bits of knowledge you shared. Where it's like you're, you're obviously like you're you're an intelligent guy, and obviously you've got a good head in your shoulders. But you you have the ability to identify, you know, not only what gives you displeasure, but like any sort of weaknesses you may have. Where it's like, okay, I know I shouldn't do that. Get that as far away from me as possible, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. which which is good because sometimes people, you know, fake it and they're doing things that they really shouldn't be doing and they're doing a bad job at it. <laughs> Especially like taxes, man. I don't want to be no audited by the IRS and then, you know, I have no idea what to do and I'm just... Uh, for for the work that you're obviously, you know, you, you've been doing and you if you, you obviously will continue to do, um, you know, do you, do you find a lot of, because uh, you know, like you said, you obviously challenge yourself to push past the idea of like, okay, I'm simply only recording Christian artists and I'm not going to touch the secular music market, you know? Um, do you find your, did, did you find yourself having to kind of like balance that initially or that was obviously like you said you kind of wanted to make yourself limitless from that perspective well when i started i just basically didn't allow cussing they didn't have to be a christian band Mm -hmm. but but i didn't allow cussing i was really like winging it hard whenever i started there was no no focus path yeah i i was just like hey i like doing this and i'm making some money cool Right, right. I made ninety bucks in only two days. Damn, that was a lot. I'm rolling. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, I was, you know, it was, it was a job too. I mean, not a job. It didn't. It never felt like a job. It still doesn't feel like a job. Right, right, right. I I say job. Here's a little secret about me. I say job to make other people feel better about themselves. (laughs) Well, it's true. There, because I think there's a huge difference between work and a job because a, jo- a job defines the place. Or no, I say work. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I got to go to work. Right. But I always feel funny when <laughs> I say it because it's like I'm my own boss, you know, like I 
basically. Yeah. I get stuff done whenever whenever I get it done. That's when it's done, you know? Like, I only have so many hours every day, and I do things the way I do them. Sure. So when I say I'm going to work, I still, to the, to this day, feel funny saying that. What was your, uh, your you know, like, and obviously throwing back to when you were in high school and stuff, like, because how, how did you get introduced to kind of, you know, like, your, your entry point into, like, independent music? Um, like, what was your, you know, who, who showed you stuff, and obviously what was your first things you started to cut your teeth on? Um, well, the most learning that I ever did was from the first recording that we ever did uh, with this dude named Jeremiah. And I kind of just emulated what he did. And I bought, you know, like an eight channel mixer myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I would just have whenever I would do drums, they would all just go to that mixer, I would EQ them on the mixer, and uh, I would have two channels to record with. And, uh, and that that was it for a long time. Sure. (laughs) So that's uh what what was your what was your own like your own personal tastes like you know how did they develop through high school as far as like the bands that you were into and stuff like that how did that Oh wait the bands I listened to or the bands that I record Yeah the, I well no you you answered you answered a question I was going to ask you know later but no like the the bands that you were personally listening to like how did you get into you know like uh, oh music I, music as an overall uh sort of thing My friend Jeremy Midcap not McKinnon um in middle school he showed me no innocent victim do you remember that man oh dude dude being from southern california of course no innocent <laughs> niv bro yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i was like this is it man i was like this is awesome <laughs> i thought it was so good so i started with like the heaviest stuff you know that you can get into right away is tough guy hardcore right so like face- what were, were was it like you know face down records and solid state stuff yeah yeah um, I, I got into like Staves Acre and, um, great band Pro- project 86. Oh yeah. Yeah. Blind sides, old shit. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I was like really stoked on that. I did start off straight up, like not so melodic. Oh, MXPX's uh, first album. I can't remember what it was called, but I listened to that like on repeat. Mm-hmm. Feel sorry for my parents. But I also wasn't allowed to listen to screaming music. Oh, you had to sneak it around. Yeah, I did, even though it was Christian. And uh, <laughs> my my parents uh, sat me down in the living room because they found that I had an under oath CD. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. But it was Active <laughs> Depression. I think that was like one of their first albums. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were listening to it, and they're like, what do you like about this? And they were going through the lyrics like... Um, criticizing them and stuff and i was like i don't know i think it's pretty good <laughs> yeah you're like i so, can't and, i can't articulate that i'm like, yeah, I'm like it's I'm fi- not, I, I like it i'm and, 15 yeah and they you know they've been supportive but they smashed that cd wow that, yeah it, and, it's, like, it, and it's so funny too because it's like you know like uh from my own personal experience it's like you know i i I cut my teeth on a lot of, you know, like Christian music uh, as far as like that sort of Christian independent music while I was also listening to a bunch of, you know, regular sort of like beginner hardcore, like Earth Crisis and Strife and stuff like that. But I always found it so funny because uh, I had friends that were raised in a strict Christian household. And it's like once they started to bring that stuff home, like the no innocent victims and that sort of stuff, it was like, you know, they were basically it was like them pissing in the face of convention. And it was like, wait a minute. And it's like, dude, compare this to the rest of the stuff. This is great. Like what they are doing is a positive thing. And just because they're yelling, you can't look past that apparently as parents. Yeah, that's what it was. And I had no good answer for that. Like, well, (laughs) 
if this is Christian, why does it sound so demonic? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, that's yeah. A, that, to that's... me, I was like, that's a good point. I have no argument. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I've heard, you know, they say shout to the Lord. That was the only thing I think of. <laughs> like, he's shouting. Right. And it was, it, I found that era, it's so interesting too, because obviously since, since it was, you know, in its infancy, it was still trying to figure out how to, you know, not only build an audience within the context of what of the audience they were trying to build, but how they were, you know, they're just kids like, and right. They had this magnifying glass on them to be like, Oh, well, is this really a good representation of our faith? And it was like, dude, they're 18. <laughs> like is, is anybody yeah. representing the faith appropriately at 18 years old? I would imagine like four percent of what you would define Christians as doing that. And so, did, so as you were uh, as you started to develop your music taste further, did you find yourself obviously leaning more towards uh, you know uh, softer and more popular stuff? I, I really don't know why. I don't know if it's because I record it um, so much, but I totally listen to like super white people music, like Fleet Foxes and oh sure uh, and Coldplay and. Uh, M83 and stuff like that. Like, it's just not even like, I like Arcade Fire a lot, stuff like that. Yeah, you like beard beard guy music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do not like any heavy music. Like, I'll listen to what's like modern stuff right now just to, to see like what's, you know, what people like. And it helps me. And it's really easy for me to, to, to understand what's good about it. Mm -hmm. Cause I, like, I help write stuff all the time. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, well, I, don't. I, I think I, I think it's interesting because I, I the everybody that I've I've had an interaction with as far as like you know them making a successful career out of you know uh, recording and producing and songwriting and stuff, they don't attach themselves to a scene, so to speak. You know, because you have you have your producers who you know travel like completely alongside of a scene and not only record a majority of bands within that scene, but they themselves are also participants, whether or not it's them playing in the band themselves or, um, you know, going to shows and like being part of that community. And it it sounds like you, you obviously, you have, you have a casual distance with it, which, you know, in my perspective, like helps you be able to offer probably different ideas than people would typically think of in the context of whatever it is they're recording with you. Right. Yeah. I also, I feel like, Um, there's not like one style that's going to last forever. It's always going to be evolving. Mm -hmm. So I figure, you know, why not, you know, what's, what's the harm in listening to other stuff? You know, like you said, it it could only add a different perspective. Sure. Sure. Um, and the last thing I'll hit on before I let you go is the, uh, you know, I always find it interesting when people themselves like start to notice that like things are going well, so to speak. I mean, obviously the, the story that you shared with, you know, your mom kind of realizing that like, Oh, my son isn't, you know, a miserable failure and will end up in the gutter in like five years. Um, <laughs> uh, like when did you, you yourself start to notice, um, like you, you know, your either the perception of you be like, Oh wow. Like I didn't think that I'd be getting hit up by like this many bands and I'd have to be saying no to a lot of projects or like, you know, when did you feel that start to change for yourself? I, I don't know. It was, I feel like it was pretty gradual because there were some times when I kind of thought it might happen because I did a record that I really liked. Um, but nobody cared. <laughs> oh, really? And then, 
Interesting. So you had you had your idea, you had your sight set on something just because you thought the quality of the product was there, but then for one reason or another, it didn't hit from a public perspective. Right. And so I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, I'll just I'll just throw that dream away for now. But it did. It happened slowly. Um, I think maybe the biggest change for me was when I recorded the the homesick sessions with a day to remember Mm -hmm. and my character the big boss was created and people recognized me in public from that (laughs) and that's when i was like that's whenever i thought you know something's going on here and uh it only i feel like things have just gotten more and more chaotic for me i mean i'm i feel like i'm changing my the focus of my career even still because of all the opportunities I've been given, given like with the creative live thing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just writing, writing with a day to remember. And on that same note, does the, does the idea of like, obviously being kind of the, you know, what you shied away from when you were playing in a band, like the, you know, the public eye or the adulation and stuff like that, or adulation, um, does that, does that stuff sit differently with you now? Like, or, or are you comfortable with like, Oh no, like I, I, am okay being recognized uh, in public because of these things, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's fine. I mean, I'm over it. Like, I I'm gonna be. I do write my own music, and it's completely different than the stuff I record. Um, but I think I'll be putting more of that stuff out. So I'm gonna try to be. I want to try to shift into maybe different genres a little more, or uh, sure. into more more writing. Um, we'll see how it goes. I don't, I you know I always. I'm always hopefully optimistic about these things. Sure, sure. Well, that, that, that sounds great. I mean, you you you've developed a a knowledge about your name and obviously your talents, and it's cool just because then you're able to parlay that into different things that can open you up to you know new and exciting experiences, which is basically what anybody hopes to do with anything creative. Good job. Way to not ruin it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> No, no, I just want you to know that during this whole conversation, I'm staring at a picture of a baby. You are on my. That is that is my child. He is. <laughs> he is. Uh... So, like in my head, this is who I'm talking to. Like, I, I know. I, I realize. I realize that I. Uh, the yeah. baby with sunglasses on. Yeah, he's just chilling. He was. I, I'm. Fa- I'm fairly yeah. certain I was holding him on my chest, but uh, yeah, that's that is my son. He's only maybe another year older than that. So. Um, and that's I, not you. That's not you. Is that is my son. That, that is my son, but he is his name is Raymond, and he's Raymond the Fourth. So technically, in some weird way, you are kind of talking to me. I feel like his voice is your voice is coming from his mouth. So <laughs> that's good. I'm glad this. So this will be, obviously be the first interview you've ever done with a baby. So I'm I'm, I'm very glad about that. <laughs> me too. Me too. So there you go. He's a sweet dude, right? I felt uh, I felt very at ease on Skype with him, just kind of. BSing. I definitely, <laughs> I felt, I feel bad because sometimes I don't want to interrupt a person with my laugh when they tell a joke, like as you heard towards the beginning of the interview. But uh, yeah, it's just funny sometimes. That's why I like to do these things in person, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But anyways, go to Andrew's class, creativelive.com, recording rock vocals, visit there, propertyzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. The editor for this episode is Tom Richfield. Such a good dude. I can't, I can't say it enough. I just, I just love him. And, uh, yeah, until next week, be safe, everybody. Bye.